Well, good morning, church. Is anyone excited about worship this morning? Ah, yes. Give God a hand. Let's just give him an offering of praise. I know Brandon was having a great time during Holy Water. I don't know if you saw it or not, but he was having a good time. And so we're so grateful for our worship team. Hey, I want you to do something for me today. We don't recognize these people nearly enough, but if you turn around, there's a thing called Media Row back there. Those are all the people that make this thing happen. Can we just give them a hand for doing all that they do? They do such a good job getting the words on the screen, making sure we can hear people sing, um, and making sure the lights are right at the right place, and so we're so grateful for, for all that they do. Well, welcome back to week three of our Easter challenge, and uh, we've been spending a few weeks on this journey, on this adventure, if you will, of chasing a deeper understanding of what it means, what it looks like to live God's calling in our lives. And in week one, we talked about on Easter Sunday, we talked about how Easter and the empty tomb changed everything, right? And then last week, we talked about how community, how being together also changed everything. And today, we're going to talk about our need for the Word of God. We're going to talk about how, bad it is, how badly we need to be in God's Word on a regular basis. And so to get us started, I want us to think back to uh, a time in 1981, it was in May of 1981 that Muffin, a little dog, was barking furiously in the yard. Now, I don't know if you know little dogs, but little dogs somehow can bark much louder than big dogs. And their bark can get annoying after a while, right? Like, they're always like, yip, 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 yip. And, uh, and anytime, like, we have neighbors that have little dogs and they're going off all the time, it can be disturbing. And so, so Muffin was doing that. She was having one of those barking moments. Where, uh, where her owner, May Rose Williams, said, you know what, I got to do something about this. And she thought that Muffin was chasing a squirrel. And so she came out to quiet her little dog. And, and as she looked around, she didn't see a squirrel. But instead, what she found in her front yard was that a sinkhole was beginning to open up in the front yard of her Winter Park, Florida home. And before she knew it, that sinkhole kept opening up, and it swallowed her entire house within minutes. But it didn't stop there. The sinkhole continued to open up until it engulfed the local community pool in her neighborhood and did about $4 million in damage. Now, living in Florida, uh, sinkholes are like hurricanes. We're pretty used to them in Florida. They're kind of a, a common thing around there. But then go fast forward 30 years later, and in and, and Guatemala, and in Guatemala, the tropical storm Agatha has just swept through Central America, and a sinkhole opened up in Guatemala City, and it swallowed up a three-story building whole. Like the building was gone. It destroyed, swallowed up by this sinkhole. And as we read this morning's passage from Matthew, I want you to keep those two images in the front of your brain. And as I read to you what Jesus was saying on the Sermon on the Mount uh, in, in, in this very familiar passage, just keep in mind uh, May's house being swallowed up, this hotel in Guatemala just being swallowed whole. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 24 through 27 together. And so this week I got new glasses, and so I can actually read uh, from my Bible, which I'm really super excited about. And, and also I got a larger print Bible, which kind of helped too. 
But, um, but it's not giant print, it's large print. So I haven't gone to giant yet. But, um, but I want to read with you, if you've got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to read verses 20, starting in verse 24. Again, Sermon on the Mount, a very uh, Jesus' first sermon, his first public sermon. Um, and by the way, if y'all think I preach long, like this was an all-day sermon, by the way. And, uh, and so, so when you feel like, man, Pastor Rick's going 25 minutes, just go back to Sermon on the Mount. It was a long sermon. But anyway, chapter, 24, or chapter 7, verse 24, says, Therefore, Jesus said, Therefore, Everyone who hears these words. So Jesus just given, unloaded a bunch of stuff on them. He's talked about a lot of different things. He's talked about judging others. He's talked about treasures in heaven. He's talked about uh, worrying. He's talked about loving your neighbor. He's talked about all these things. And he wraps it up and he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. He goes, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew, and it beat against that house, and it came down with a great crash. Here's what I want you to know today, that building our lives on the rock of God's word is the only sure foundation. That building our lives on the rock of God's word, laying our foundation to everything that we build our lives on, built on God's word, is the only sure foundation to build our lives on. That every other foundation that we build our lives on is like shifting sand. And as I look at the turmoil in our world today, as I look at culture and, 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 and look at what culture is doing, it seems like culture is taking even a few steps beyond building on a shaky foundation into a menacing, all-consuming sinkhole. And when Jesus talked about the two builders in this passage, you'll notice that what he didn't say is he didn't say, if the rain comes. He didn't say, if the storms come. He said the rain, the storms would definitely come. And the waters would definitely rise and the winds would blow and that they would beat against the house. And I'm not trying to scare you and and you don't have to worry about the storms when they come if you have built your life on the right foundation. But I just want you to know if you haven't figured it out, storms are going to come in your life, right? Like some of you have already experienced some of those storms and and the rain and the waters and the wind, they're going to come and to your life and to mine, and they're going to sometimes knock us sideways. Sometimes we're going to know they're coming, other times they're going to come from nowhere. And you've probably experienced one or two storms in your life already, and, and I wonder, as you experience those storms, what foundation, if you've recognized that one foundation you build your life on is the difference between a life that stands firm and a life that is swallowed whole when the storms come. That it matters what we build our lives upon. 
that you see, I don't know if you think about it or not, but every day, every day we are laying down bricks in the structure of our lives. That what we experience today and how we experience today is a direct, direct result of what we built yesterday. That what we are building our lives on matters. That every day at work, that every weekend, that every life interaction is a part of the structure that you and I are building called our lives. And so what we build our lives on matters. And you know this. You know that if you were to build your life on a weak foundation, if you were to build your life on on shifting sand, that when storms come, that it's going to knock you down. But if we will build our lives on the rock, on the word of God, on God himself, if Jesus will be the center of our lives, the thing, the very thing that we build our lives on, that when the storms come, we will stand firm. You see, whether you're an atheist or an agnostic or a follower of Jesus, we're all building something. We're all building careers or we're all building families or we're all building friendships. And the main difference is found in the foundation that holds up everything that we are building. Foundation matters. What you build your life on matters. What's holding us up and what's shaping everything that's built in your life? What is it? What are you building your life on? Is the career you're building your life on standing on your desire to know and follow and glorify Jesus? Or is it simply built on getting what you want? You see, those who have built their lives on Jesus, they can lose it all and still have everything. But those who have built their lives on desire uh, to get what they want, they can lose it all. And guess what? They lose it all. You see, Jesus tells us in the scripture, he tells us how to build the foundation. He tells us exactly what to do if we're going to build our lives on a foundation that withstands the trials and the tribulations and the storms of life. He says it right in verse 24. Let's just read it again. He says, everyone who hears, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You see, Jesus is talking about how we as as we live the Christian life, we can either live it as wise or unwise. And the wise person not only reads the word of God, not only uh, it dives into the word of God, but actually does what it says. You see, there's a lot of people out there that say, yes, I go to church, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and they're reading the word of God. But then they're doing exactly what they want to do. And they're not doing what the word says. And Jesus says, no. He says, if you're going to build your house on a strong foundation, if you're going to build your life on a foundation that withstands all the trials that we face, then not only do you have to read it, but you have to do what it says. And he's pointing out the way to a faith, a faith that endures and a faith that overcomes no matter what comes against you, no matter what storms you face. You see, say, hey, if you'll build your life on this foundation when the storms come, you'll overcome. But if you don't, if you don't build your life on this foundation, then when, when, when storms come, guess what? 
Your faith crumbles and collapses at the slightest resistance. And Jesus said that it all comes down to two things, that two things matter. The first one is that you hear my word, that you're in the word of God, that you're listening to God speak to you as you read the word of God. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that you put it into practice. It's not enough just to listen to it. You have to actually apply it to your life. You see, there's no way around it. This is what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. He's making a big deal about the Bible. Jesus makes the Bible a big deal. He even says in John 30, 10, 35, he says, the scripture cannot be set aside. He's like, listen, if you're going to be one of my followers, if you're going to be one of mine, if you're going to call me your Lord and Savior, you can't set this book aside. You can't ignore it. You can't set it on a shelf and let it collect dust. But you actually have to be in it. And you actually have to do what it says. You see, throughout his ministry, Jesus points back to and affirms the accounts of characters in the Bible. He looks at Abraham and Isaiah and Moses and Jonah and others, and he affirms what they did. He quoted the prophets throughout the, the Gospels and, and the law, and he drove his points home by using those examples. And one of the reasons why we believe in the authority of the Old Testament is because Jesus testified to it. Now, over 20 times, or at least 20 times in the four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus pointed to the Old Testament when he said these three words, it is written. When he was making a point, he would say, it is written. When he was facing temptation, he would look at the evil one. He would look at Satan and say, it is written. When he was trying to teach his disciples how to be a follower, he would say, it is written. I mean, isn't it amazing that the one who had the power to cast out demons and to command them where to go and what to do chose to use the words of the Bible to resist Satan? I don't know if you remember when Jesus was facing temptation in the wilderness and when Satan came to him. What did Jesus do? He used the word of God. And it's a clear statement that's being made for us. That the one who had the power to flick Satan away, the one who had the power, I love thinking of Satan like this, squishy, squishy. Have you ever done that to people like squishy, squishy, squishy? Like Jesus could have just gone squishy, squishy, squishy and squished Satan like a bug. For the rest of eternity, he could have destroyed him completely. And he chose three different times to use the word of God to defeat Satan by beginning with saying, it is written. Church, we can't fight Satan with the word of God if we don't know the word of God. We can't say the words, it is written, if we haven't read it. Jesus alone shows the truth and the power of God's word as being the foundation for our lives. Hebrews says this in chapter 4, verse 12. It says, for the word of God, the word of God is alive and active, the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. 
It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Here's the deal. God's word is the truth. God's word is truth. It's a different kind of truth too. It's a different kind of truth than something that just works or makes sense because it's breathed by God. It's, it's the word of God is a kind of a truth that you and I can count on. The word of God is a kind of truth that doesn't change. It doesn't shift with culture. It doesn't change its mind. It's always constant. It's always true. Someone told me once, they said, you know what? The word of God needs to change with the times. And I looked at him and said, say what? He said, the word of God needs to change with the times. And I'm like, no, no, no. The word of God is always the same. It's the same today and yesterday and forever. Amen. And it's truth that we can count on. It's not just right or wrong. It's being aligned with the creator of the universe. And it's the way, he, and the way that he intends things to be. If you want to know God's will for your life, then jump into the word of God because there's so much power in this book that we call the Bible. The easiest way to consider, the, to see the power of the truth is to consider the destruction and devastation that comes from a lie. Like, let me just share with you that consider this lie that was penned by Sergei Nihilus in 1905. He wrote this down. He wrote down the lie that the Jewish people, he said the Jewish people were conspiring to take over and corrupt the world. And he wrote that down in 1905, and his lie was picked up and believed and spread by the Nazi party. And they would teach this lie to their children, and they would teach this lie in schools, and eventually it led to the extermination of six million people. That's the power of one lie. But let me tell you that God's word is more powerful than that. That God's word changes everything. Now think about this and think about how the truth changes everything. Think about this statement. Three words. Maybe you've used them, maybe you haven't. But these are three powerful words. I was wrong. Anyone ever said those words before? Anyone had a hard time saying those words before? I was wrong, right? Like those are, those are some of the most powerful but most hard words to get out. I was wrong. Like have, have you ever thought wrong about a person? Like you had in your mind what that person was like and you maybe even shared that with other people. You didn't know it to be true. You just had this feeling that this person was this way and you would tell other people that this person was this way. And then when you finally got to know the person, you realized that they weren't that way that the truth changed your thoughts on that person and it changed everything and you had to even say to yourself, I was wrong and you maybe had to go to some people and say, I was wrong because that's the power of truth. Truth is beautiful. Truth is powerful and God has been so kind. God has been so generous. God has been so gracious to reveal the truth that you need in this life in his word. That everything that we need to live the Christian life. Everything that we need for salvation is right here. It's in his word. Everything that we need is right here. The funny thing is, though, that there are things that we hold to believe to be true that just aren't true. Let me give you an example. Um, how many of y'all did, knew that Napoleon wasn't short? 
Like we always say, we, we always say that, oh, they have a Napoleon complex because maybe they're short and, they, and we attribute them to Napoleon because we think Napoleon was short, but actually Napoleon was five foot six, which was the average age for a Frenchman in the 1800s. He wasn't short. Did you know that there isn't zero gravity in space? That we say there's zero gravity, but it's not. There's gravity in space. It's just different from our gravity. That the distance between the objects reduce the force of gravity significantly in space. So it seems like there's no gravity compared to the pool that we feel standing here on earth. But there's still gravity in space. Did you know that you can't fit your thumb in your nostril? Like I bet you thought you could. Actually, you can. I just wanted to see who would do it. <laughs> I saw some of you. But really, there are all sorts of little lies that we believe. Little lies that we believe that attack us every day. I mean, more significant things than the height of Napoleon and zero gravity in space. Uh, there are lies that we buy into every day and are attacking us every day. And if we don't have the truth of God, if we don't have God's word in us, we buy into the lies. We even feed the lies and we live by them and we also fall by them. And so you see the importance of being in God's word so that we can know the truth. And that's why we need God's word, to show us the difference, to show us what is truly true and what is truly a lie. And there are little things that you have taken. There are little things that you have taken to be true your whole life that's God, that God's word would say to you, if you were to say to God, God's word would say to you, that's not true. That's not true. Let me give you some examples. Some of you in here, you might believe, I won't ever really recover from this. Like you might think, I'll never really recover from whatever it is that you're struggling with. To which God's lie would say, that's not true. And all things are possible, right? All things are possible in Christ. Or maybe you believe the lie that I'm only one step away from falling apart. Like only one more thing happens in my life and I'll fall apart. And God's word would say, that's not true because Jesus promised that he will never leave you or forsake you. Or maybe you think, I, can't, I can keep getting away with this sin. I can keep doing it. I can keep getting away with whatever the sin is and no one will get hurt. To which God's word would say, you can't live with sin in your life. You might be saying, I'm not as good or I'm not as lovable or I'm not as pretty or I'm not as capable or I'm not as holy or I'm not as godly as he is or she is. To which God's word would say, that's not true because you were fearfully and wonderfully made by God. You might be saying, God is boring. God is uptight. God is angry. God is unfair. God is uninvolved. God is unloving. God is not kind. God is wanting to punish me. To which God's word would say, that's not true. And you see, when we hold these lies up to God's word, when we hold them up to God's word and put the truth into practice, everything changes. And too many of us are living these lies in our lives that we're not good enough, that we could never do that, that we'll never be anything. And God's word says that's all lies because the truth changes everything. The Bible is made up of 66 books, and I don't know if you know this or not, it was written by 40 different authors over three continents over 1,500 years. 
But did you know that this, the message is the same? That all of those authors, all of those writers over all those years, over all three continents, they all told the same story. That God loves you and is madly in love with you and cares about you and wants a relationship with you. You see, the truth is if you're a follower of Jesus, you need God's word in your life. If you've said yes to Jesus, you need to be daily reading and digesting and thinking about God's word. You need it every day. I mean, think about this. Imagine that you only ate one day a week. Imagine that after church on Sunday, you went to El Rodeo or wherever, Billy Ray's or wherever you go, and that was your only meal for the week, right? You didn't eat anything else the rest of the week. You had nothing but water for the next six days. Now, you might survive that. You might survive that, but you wouldn't be very healthy, would you? You would not be, you would be sluggish. You would have no energy. You would be sick. Your, your stomach would be sick, and, I, and you wouldn't be very happy if you just ate one day a week. And the same is true about our diet with God's word, that it's not enough to feast on God's word one day, one hour a week. Just 10 minutes every day in God's word will make all the difference and all that you do, but we must eat from God's word every day. You want to know God's will for your life? You want your life to be healthy? You want your life to be satisfying? You want your life to be uh, living it to its fullest? You got to take in God's word. You got to regularly be reading the word of God. It teaches us. God's teaches us how to love one another. God's word teaches us how to forgive. God's word reminds us that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. God's word tells us how to treat other people. God's word, it does so much. And if we're not in it, we don't know it. You see, God's word, along with prayer, work in concert to change us, to transform us, to make us more like Jesus. And it also allows us to change the world around us by living out the truth. You see, Jesus reminded us of the truth when he prayed for us. And when he prayed for his disciples in John chapter 17, verses 16 and 17, here's what he prayed. He said, Lord, they're not of this world, even as I am not of it. He said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And the Greek word that's translated as sanctify it means to be holy and to be set apart for a special purpose. And I hope that you know that when you said yes to Jesus, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, you were set apart. You were sanctified. You were set apart for a purpose. And the only way you can discover what that purpose is, is by daily being in God's word. And as followers of Jesus, we have to remember we're not of this world, that we're different and reading God's word makes us different because we understand what it means to truly love. We understand what it truly means to trust. We understand what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I think we all would agree that this world has drifted from God's plan. 
Like God did not intend for the world to be as it is today. God did not dream up division. God didn't dream up that Republicans can't get along with Democrats and Democrats can't get along with Republicans. God never dreamed up that we have to hate each other based on the color of our skin. That was never God's design. We've drifted from God's plan. And it's building, the world's building on a different foundation, on a shaky foundation. Uh, It has different values. It longs for different hopes. And it aspires for different goals. And remember, that foundation is ultimately shifting sand. It's ultimately a sinkhole that will swallow you whole. And Jesus doesn't ask for us to leave that world, but he declares that we would be different from that world. And the only way that you and I can be different is if we know the truth. And we know what the difference is. One of the shaky foundations that our world is currently building right now is one that has a huge weight on our experiences and our feelings. What we've experienced and what we feel. But our feelings, I don't know if you recognize this in your own life, your feelings shift every day, don't they? Like I'll give you an example of my feelings shifting. Um, I've been looking at a, a new car. And I've been debating between two cars. And one day I feel like this is the car I'm going to get. But then the next day my feelings tell me, no, this is the car that I'm going to get. Because my feelings are constantly shifting and changing. Uh, and yours shift and yours change too. And, and, and so Jesus tells us that we got to seek his word. And we got to ask for the truth. And we got to do that in our prayers and, and to build our lives based upon the truth. Our lives, our foundation built on the truth of God. And so we can't trust our feelings. Even Proverbs tells us in chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In other words, don't trust your feelings. It says, Lean not on your own understandings, but in all of your ways, acknowledge God, and he will make straight your paths. In other words, God knows what's best for you better than you do. And if you don't get in the word of God, you can't know what that is. You see, the rallying cry of our culture seems to be, but that's how I feel. And the rallying cry of our culture is, you can't tell me that my feelings are wrong. They're my feelings. And while your feelings are important and valid at times, I have to tell you that they don't always line up with God's truth. And if they don't line up with God's truth, then they're not based on God's truth. So many people are talking about the Bible today, and they're like, I don't like how it makes me feel. Christians are saying, I don't like how it makes me feel. That person probably said that too that said to me, the Bible needs to get with the times because I don't like how it makes me feel. I don't always agree with it. I don't agree with the Bible, so I'm going to skip these parts of the Bible because I don't agree with it. Those aren't sufficient answers for us to contradict or ignore what God commands us to do in his word. His word is truth, and our responsibility to the truth goes beyond any feeling at any given time. Our responsibility even goes beyond just hearing it or even accepting it. You see, we're responsible to do what the word of God says. If you hear it, you're responsible to do what it says. It is a truth that is way bigger than us. And fortunately, it's also a truth that's always working with our best interests in mind. How many of y'all had parents that ever said, well, I only tell you this because I have your best interests in mind. 
I only do this because I love you, right? I only tell you not to touch the stove when it's hot because I care about you and I love you. And that's what the Bible is. It's God's story written for us, and he's just saying to us, because I love you, here's my truth for you. I just want the best. Jesus said this in 24. He said, everyone who hears, in verse 24 of our passage, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Church, the Bible is the primary way that God speaks to us. And you and I, we need to be people of the word of God. Above all, we need to do what it says. Your feelings are going to come and go. They're like shifting sand. The wisdom of our culture changes like the wind. But God's word, it endures forever. God's word stands firm. When I was growing up, I would sit and listen to my dad preach every Sunday. And every Sunday after he would read the morning scripture, he would quote this passage from Isaiah. And the passage said this. It said, the flowers fade, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. The word of our God stands forever. So get into the word of God. Get into God's word. Pray through his word. Read his word. Determine that you won't just hear his word, but you will put it into action. Like, don't just read the Bible to check it off another box. Say, oh, I read God's word today. Uh, I just needed to do that. Check it off. No, read it. Pray through it. Put his words into practice. And where the wa- when the waters rise and when the questions and the doubts come and when and tragedy strikes and when life gets sideways and pushes back at you, you can stand firm because you know the word of God. So let me just wrap up today with this challenge. I just want to make a challenge for you this week. I want to challenge you to be in the word of God prayerfully every day this week. I'm just going to challenge you. I'm challenging you to be in the word of God every day this week. So if you're already in the word of God, awesome. Praise God that you're reading God's word. If you're not daily in the word of God, I'm challenging you to every day put yourself into the word of God. So that might mean that you might have to do some things ahead of time. Like if you know that you're going to spend 10 minutes in the Word of God tomorrow, you might need to push your alarm back 10 minutes or ahead 10 more minutes to give you 10 minutes extra to read God's Word. Or maybe you're going to say, you know what? I'm not going to get up earlier, but I'm going to take my Bible and I'm going to go to work and I'm going to read my lunch break. That every day this week during my lunch break, I'm going to read the Word of God. Or maybe it might mean that you don't watch that Netflix show uh, tomorrow night. But instead, you say, you know what? I'm going to cut it off 30 minutes earlier, and I'm going to spend some time in the Word of God. But I'm just challenging you to get into God's Word this week every day and see if it doesn't change the way you think about life. I mean, if you could go to God directly and spend 10 minutes with Him, If you could be face-to-face with God every day and spend 10 minutes, wouldn't you do that? Like, wouldn't you jump at the chance to do that? And that's what happens when we read the Word of God. We get to spend 10 minutes or 20 minutes or however long in face-to-face with God as we read His Word. If you'll do this,
this, I believe, I believe with all my heart that it will be the beginning of a beautiful relationship with God. I believe that you will find your mind being renewed. I believe that you find that there are some lies that you've been buying into that God's word will say, you know what? That's a lie. I believe that you will begin to experience life to its fullest if you will just take the time to commit to reading God's word. So here's the challenge. There's a number up here on the screen. or going to be up here on the screen. Challenging you to text B-I-B-L-E, that's Bible, to that number up there. And when you, when you do that, you're saying, I'm committing, Pastor Rick, that I'm going to read my Bible every day, starting today. I'm going to read my Bible at least for 10 minutes every day. Now, don't go home and like set the timer on your phone for 10 minutes. And when that thing goes off, beep, 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 you're like, I'm done and shut the Bible. But let's just make a commitment that for at least 10 minutes, I'm going to read my Bible every day. And if you text the word Bible to that number, here's what you're going to get. In your email, immediately, in your email. So you got to write email. In your email, you're going to get a Bible reading plan from me. And here's the deal. I'm going to start reading that Bible plan with you. And what would it be like if all of us in the Warehouse Church were reading the same scripture every day? Like we're tracking along on the same scripture every day, reading from the Gospels, reading from the Epistles, reading from the Old Testament, reading from uh, the Psalm. We're reading every day the same scriptures. And so you're going to get a a Bible reading plan. It's going to give you a, a little passage of scripture to read every day. It's a chart. You've got little check marks boxes. If that's your, the person you are, you can check off the box as you read. And every day you're just going to read that scripture. And as you read, you're going to prayerfully read it. You're not just going to read it to read it, but you're going to read it saying, God, what is it that you want me to get out of this scripture? Like, what are you trying to, trying to teach me? And here's an easy way to do that. If you'll just write down on a piece of paper next to your Bible, if you'll write the word soap down the, down the page, S-O-A-P. And the S is the scripture that stands out at you. So you're going to read a chapter. In that chapter, there's going to be a verse, or there's going to be a couple verses, or there's going to be a word that jumps out at you. And you're going to write that down in the S. You're going to write whatever it was. You're going to write it out. So if you're reading like John chapter 3, and you get to John 3.16, you're like, for God so loved the world that he get, that jumped out at me. So you're going to write that down under, next to the S. Then you're going to go to the O. And the O stands for observe. What's happening in the scripture? What's going on? Is it a story? Is it the story of David and Goliath? So you just write down, hey, Jesus is telling, or I mean, the author is writing, telling the story of David and Goliath. Or maybe it's Jesus and he healed a beggar or healed a, a, a blind person. You're going to write that down. Just write whatever you observe. As you read the passage, what are you observing? And then the A, most important one, don't skip it, is how does that passage apply to your life? How is it applying to your life? So if you read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, if you read the scripture, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings, but in all of your ways acknowledge him. What's your application? I'm not going to trust my own feelings, but I'm going to trust that Jesus knows what's best for me better than I do. That's your application. Apply it to your life. Chew on it all day long. And then P, pray. Pray through the scripture. Pray whatever it is that God is speaking to you. Say, God, I just read this passage from Proverbs and it tells me to trust in you and not my own feelings, to, uh, to believe that you know what's best for me better than I do. God, that's hard for me because I'm all about my emotions and my feelings. God, would you help me? Would you encourage me? Would you strengthen me today to trust you over my own feelings? That I would trust you over my own desires? That I would put you first in my life? And just pray it. Write out a prayer. 
those simple things will help you to get the most out of your Bible reading. So if you struggle with reading the Bible, just SOAP, S-O-A-P. And as you start and you sit down and you open your Bible, as you open it up, say, God, I'm about to jump into your word. This is what I do, and I've been doing this for years. God, I'm about to open up your word. Your word. Would you show me something today that I need out of your word? Would you just reveal to me what it is that you want me to know today? And I pray that every time when I get into God's word. And you know what? Nine out of 10 times, God gives me something. And on that 10th time, I was probably just too lazy to see it. So just ask God, show me what you want. Write soap and then jot them down. This is my scripture. This is what I'm observing. This is how I'm going to apply it. This is my prayer. And see if God doesn't change your attitude, that God doesn't renew your mind, that God doesn't teach you something new about loving your neighbor, that God doesn't show you how much he loves you by reading his word. Jesus made a big deal out of God's word. So should we. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is live and active and powerful. God, it's so powerful it can separate joint and marrow. God, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. God, your word penetrates our hearts. God, your word teaches us the truth. God, your word shows us how much you love us. Your word reminds us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your word tells us that we were made in your image, that we were called to be image bearers. God, your word reminds us that we're not just to sit on the couch and say we love you, but that we're to go and make disciples. God, your word promises that you will never leave us or forsake us. God, your word is so powerful and it's truth. And God, we need that truth in our lives. So Father, I pray for every single person in this room that they would accept the challenge. That they would, starting today, they would spend at least 10 minutes in your word discovering new and exciting things about you and your love for us. God, that we would allow your word to transform us, renew us, refresh us so that we might be more like you. Because God, as your word changes us, it changes the world. And God, our world needs to be changed. So God, I pray that we would all take the challenge. And Lord, if there's someone in this room that's never said yes to you, and Father, maybe that's where it all begins is by surrendering their life to you, by giving their life to you, by saying, Lord, I recognize that I've been trying to live my life on my own. I've built my life on the shifting sands. My foundation is crumbling, it's falling because I have not built my life on you. So Lord, today I ask that you would come. You would be my Lord, you would be my savior, you would be my rock that I could build my house on. Jesus, come and forgive me of my sins. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior today. Just pray that today. If that's you, if you want a relationship with Jesus, just ask him. Say, God, I want a relationship with you. I want to be one of yours. I want to build my life on that foundation. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thanks for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. As the worship team leads us in our closing song, I just invite you to, if you'd like, come up front. This, these are our altar areas. You're welcome to come and spend time in prayer. Maybe you just need to come.
I like the Bible challenge, but I might just need to come and make it real with God. I might need to just come and say, God, I'm doing this challenge. You might need to come and just pray tomorrow morning, God, when I don't want to get up, may your Holy Spirit literally kick me out of the bed so that I'll read your word. That he would throw the Bible right in front of me so that I'll read it. Maybe some of you need to come and say, you know what, I've been ignoring God's word. The dust has built up on my Bible. And I need to go home and blow it off and start reading it. Or maybe you just need to come and surrender your life to Jesus. Whatever it is, you come and you spend time in prayer. If you want someone to pray with you, just tap me. I'll be happy to come and pray with you. And so would you stand as we sing our song, our closing song?